Welcome to the So What Question, a podcast for historians to share what they do and why it matters. I'm Evan Falkenberry. In today's episode, you're going to hear from a friend of mine, Rob Shepard, a recent PhD graduate in history. And in our conversation, he's going to talk about a book chapter that he wrote recently called When the Flood Came for Good, Personal Stories and Impersonal Change in the Savannah River Valley. The book is forthcoming from Oxford University Press under the title, The Land Speaks, New Voices at the Intersection of Oral and Environmental History. In my conversation with Rob, I talked to him a little bit about how he became interested in environmental history. What was it about the Savannah River Valley in Georgia and the American South that drew him? And what was it about oral history that led him to uncover a kind of hidden history? So in short, his research is about how the Army Corps of Engineers earlier in the 20th century flooded a big region in Georgia, the Savannah River Valley, and how that flooding, covering up thousands of acres of farmland previously, how it's affected local people. He talks specifically about a man that he interviewed named Joe Holloway. And in his conversations with Joe Holloway, he gets at some of the roots of what happened and how it's affected the people there. I opened the interview by asking Rob a little bit about how he became interested in this research. So I grew up in Griffin, Georgia, which is south of Atlanta. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of an old, old mill town, pretty good-sized town outside the expansion of metro Atlanta and suburban Atlanta. It's kind of just outside a lot of that growth. Yeah. This 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 lake that uh, that I that I wrote about, uh, I was aware of it. Uh, you know, from a distance, Griffin is about two hours or so, maybe closer to three hours from Augusta, Georgia. Okay. And you know, the Savannah River flows uh, through and past Augusta, and this this lake is twenty miles or so north or upstream of Augusta on the Savannah River. Right. So I was aware of it from a distance uh, growing up. Uh, I was very much into fishing and lakes and you know I would occasionally read about Clark's Hill Lake and all these really big fish that were caught there. Oh, uh, yeah. Striped bass and largemouth bass. Did you go after them yourself? I never made it over there. Uh, there were another couple of lakes that I had trips to over the years uh, such as Lake Seminole in South Georgia, but I never made it over to Clark Hill Lake. And, but it was kind of in the back of my mind. Many years later, when I, I was at North Carolina State University, before I came here, I did my master's in history at NC State. Right. Somehow that lake came back into my consciousness as I was thinking about a, a master's thesis yeah. idea. And... I can't really remember why it, it, it came back in um, into my mind. I was thinking about rivers, you know, rivers and land, and those were part of uh, the Clarks Hill story. So that's probably what led me there. Um, but began to develop uh, develop an idea for uh, my thesis, mm-hmm. and decided to focus on the history of the creation of that lake. Yeah. And as part of that, I was especially interested in some of the stories of people who 
who either their families had lived, you know, close to the river, and therefore um, they lost land, you know, for the lake project. Uh, or maybe, you know, if those folks weren't still around, maybe some of their ancestors. Right. Try to get a sense of what that was like uh, during the transformation from this, you know, from a free-flowing river north of Augusta to uh, a very large uh, dammed reservoir. The U.S. Corps of Engineers yeah. built the project uh, in, the, in the mid-1940s. Uh, they finished, I believe, in 1951. The lake itself covers about 71,000 acres, perhaps. And then as part of the process, the Corps of Engineers, you know, as a branch of the federal government, acquired another 75,000 acres, perhaps, around the, the edges of the lake. That's a lot of land and space. Yes. Yes. And so, right, when, and when you're um, talking about that much land, 140,000 plus acres, you know, there, there are a lot of, there's several hundred land, individual landowners who yeah. were affected. Right. The, um, you know, by law, the federal government, you know, had to pay every landowner a, you know, what was deemed a fair market price for their land that, you know, they could, you know, the law doesn't allow just taking it no compensation but once the government decided that uh, in this case and others that it wants a certain piece of land for a project like this you know it has the authority to get that land right and ultimately the landowner can't really stop it the only debate really becomes what the price what price they will be paid for the land Wow. I, I, I want to, that's sort of the meat of your piece here. But before we get into that, I'm just, I'm trying to visualize what all this looks like. So can we take a step back and can you just tell me, you know, from your research, what did this area of the country look like before this big Army Corps of Engineer project? And then what it looked like afterward? Do you have a sense of the, the kind of physical changes on the landscape? A, a basic sense, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see, before, thinking about the before picture, you had the Savannah River has its origins in the Blue Ridge Mountains okay. uh, in, in North Carolina as well as, I think, North Georgia. So in the, in the Carolina Mountains, in the North Georgia Mountains, there are a few... Um, tributaries that eventually come together mm-hmm. into some larger rivers and then those rivers create uh, flow together to create the Savannah River okay I think um, so the headwaters are up in the mountains yes and then it flows all the way down empties out into the ocean exactly it basically ends up at uh, Savannah Georgia you know, before this dam, there are also some other dams north of this upstream of Clarks Hill Dam. Uh, and I should come back to the name. Let's make sure we talk about the name briefly because right. there is another name that's interesting. Okay, come back. But um, so basically, you're talking about a river valley uh, that starts off, you know, in in mountains, uh, comes down into the foothills. Uh, of 
Georgia and South Carolina is obviously on the other side, on the eastern side of the river. Comes through the foothills. Augusta is at the fall line. So, in other words, as you probably know, that that was uh, as that's the um, the head of navigation. If you were navigating upstream from from Savannah in a boat, Augusta was about as far as you could get before um, oh. you start getting into um, you know a more narrow river with river valley with with occasional falls of okay. varying heights okay you couldn't go past that right, right right that's why augusta developed there the fall line cuts across georgia okay. macon i think columbus is on the fall line in that in the river valley that you know that is as it approaches augusta as it flows down toward augusta you know there are there are small hills there were uh farm farming in the bottomlands along the river uh valley you know closest to the river yes. the richer bottomlands were um you know most favorable for people to farm uh you know, eventually a lot of cotton, a lot of corn, of course, mm-hmm. and then eventually a lot of cotton. Mm-hmm. So these are farming communities too. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty, quite rural, a lot of farming, which is one reason why the federal government was able to uh, do what it did. Mm-hmm. You know, it did. It impacted a lot of people, a lot of communities, but it wasn't. It wouldn't have been the same as impacting major major cities with this right you know it was it was a rural it was a rural landscape right with farms small uh towns like lincolnton georgia and mccormick Mm -hmm. south carolina Mm -hmm. why did the government want why did they choose i mean why did they want the land and the water good question um excellent question yeah so part basically the argument was uh it was a hydropower project and a flood control mm-hmm. project those were the key initial justifications okay i mean there is a lot more to that you know some people would argue that it also related to it was an early step towards um, making the savannah river nuclear facility oh yeah possible which is downstream a ways from this lake and from augusta mm-hmm. but i haven't looked too much into that but if you're contemplating a uh, massive facility for for uh, research and creating elements of nuclear nuclear weapons mm-hmm. as they did at savannah right. river plant right you want to be sure that you have good control of that river you know so that you're not at the mercy of mm-hmm. floods and things like that right okay so to me that's a little bit of a gray area but they definitely the the explicit stated reasons were we're going to build this dam to generate hydro hydropower mm-hmm. for the for that part of the savannah valley and, yeah. and outwards we're going to um eliminate the occasional flooding in the city of augusta okay. which was true there certainly were major floods that you know flooded streets and so the idea there was if you you have this massive lake then uh, if you if you time it right and you mm-hmm. make sure you let out enough water at certain times when the flood rains mm-hmm. when the flood rains come you have room in this reservoir to store those flood waters mm-hmm. let them out more slowly right 
rather than having them all gushed and rush down to the, and flood Augusta. Right. Okay. Later, um, you know, they the Corps of Engineers added things like recreation as one of the as one of the key purposes, kind right. of a multiple multiple use model. And that beca- that has become clearly a key justification as well. You know, yeah. fishing, skiing, yeah. boating right. are huge, major uses of that lake. To up to today. Yes. But one thing I, I want to say in, in relation to that, going back to, you summed up nicely what I was saying about why the government focused on this rural area as opposed to another area. I mean, mm-hmm. partly... I mean, the key reason was the river. You know, the river yeah. was the was the uh, the core resource that that um, was being used. Yeah. But what I kind of ended up doing with my master's thesis, I didn't really make an argument. You know, that related to other argument, other historical interpretations of this landscape or others, you know, in the South, what I kind of ended up arguing against was the narrative that the federal government offered. And that narrative was that basically, you know, most of these, these are really a bunch of worn out farms. Mm. Uh, You know, this is, they started talking about it in the twenties and thirties, you know, especially during the depression era that they were making that argument even more strongly that, you know, most of these people are darn glad to get a few, you know, a few bucks for their land. Uh, you know, most of them, uh, that was their, the federal government's argument that yeah. they're kind of doing people a favor in uh-huh. many cases yeah. by buying land that is worn out. They don't really, you know, they just, they'd be happy to move on to Augusta or elsewhere or things like that. And you must have found something contrary. Well, yeah, I I do think that was true in many cases. I think that was certainly true. But I also ended up deciding that, you know, and talking to, I think I did about six oral histories with people, uh, you know, looking into the written record. I decided that, you know, it really, for a lot of people, it was, they still had felt strong connections to their land. Right. Uh, it wasn't such a used up, degraded environment for farming, things like that. There's still people who were, mm-hmm. you know, had land that was productive that they cared about, uh, and they had ties that they, they, you know, family and community ties there. I don't mean to say that, you know, that it was a, uh, an injustice on a massive scale that ran off a lot of people who, you know, were devast- were devastated, but Somewhere in between that, I think, is, you know, what I came up with. Yeah, and you got to that. Well, maybe you can just step back, too, and explain how you um, first, or how you uh, wanted to do oral histories, and then how you actually were able to find the people to interview. You write about that a little bit at the beginning of your article, um, and then you focus on one of your interviewees, uh, Joe Miller Holloway Jr. So maybe you can tell the story about how you found these people to give to give you these stories kind of outside the traditional narrative of the government acquiring land and helping people out. Yes, yes. Two ways that come to mind. 
one of them that you mentioned was I was a newspaper reporter before I went back to school right in the history programs and I you know I know how eager a lot of newspapers are especially smaller papers for content yeah. for content right so I thought I, you know I bet if I wrote an article about my thesis project and wrote it as if I were at the news that news the newspaper and I think it was the Lincolnton Georgia newspaper okay. Lincoln Lincoln County I bet they would pretty much use it <laughs> and so I wrote it you know I wrote a nice fairly short, concise article describing my project, right. saying that, you know, you know, writing in third person, you know, uh, Shepard is hoping to talk to people who, whose uh, families were impacted by the construction of the dam yeah. and the lake. And I got, I did get a few leads, a few responses from that. Also, now that I think about it, I also put up some flyers around Lincoln County as well. I may, maybe got one call from that, but that wasn't as effective. But people really... <laughs> You're thinking outside the box as far as acquiring primary sources. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was fun. You know, and I, I, I was reminded, people really read the, those small-town newspapers closely, yeah. you know, and yeah. not just, they read everything, the the articles, the ads, right. and the classifieds. They read, they read that closely. Right. And... One of them. That's a great idea. And it worked. It was. It worked. It, it it did. And one of the calls was this man. I think I mentioned it, but I can't remember his name. But he called me and said, um, "I've got I've got a friend, a really good friend, an old old older guy, Joe Holloway, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, his. You really need to talk to him." And I said, "Great." He said, "He still, but this man was still." understandably he, he didn't know who I was exactly yeah he knew what he'd read he wanted to be sure that I was okay and that I wasn't going to uh, harm or you know trouble his buddy in yeah. any way sure. so so I ended up meeting him at a gas station there near Lincolnton mm-hmm. and uh, follow you know we talked for a minute he figured I was probably okay yeah and then yeah, then we uh, we drove over a few minutes away to Joe Holloway's house. Okay, and he already he had already talked to Joe, who was willing to do an interview, and yeah. we pretty much sat down right then and recorded the interview yeah. on his back back porch, wow, back patio, I guess you would say. Yeah, and at some point, this man you know, left, he had, he, he went, once he saw that the interview was flowing and everything was good, he went on about his business. Mm-hmm. So what was your interview like with Joe Holloway? I mean, what did he look like? What did he sound like? Um, he, he was, he was wonderful. He was born in 1920. So he was, let's see here, 80, he must've been 87, 88, 89 when we talked and he has since passed away. You know, he grew up, he was very much uh, a Georgia farm boy. You know, he born, as I said, born in 1920. So he was coming into awareness of the world almost right as the Depression was approaching. Mm-hmm. Either farmed, he worked, uh, his father was able to build up a pretty good farm. You know, ultimately, uh, the federal government 
acquired about 250 acres, if I remember correctly, of their farm, you know, because that part was, uh, and part of that land now is underwater, and part of it is still at the edge of the lake, so it's not underwater, but it's still, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's owned by the federal government. And that's a little ga- galling to him, I think, because it's yeah. still visible, it's not really being used, which kind of gets, you know, the other question you asked about the before and after picture, I would just say that the after picture, you know, you can just imagine this expanse of water mm-hmm. spread out across the farmland. Any of the forests that were within the, the lake basin that they, they timbered, you know, they cut those trees. Mm-hmm. And now there are a few little hills, little islands in this lake that it used to be the hills, the hilltops. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, but for Joe, um, uh, he he was either you know working for his dad on the farm, then he was in uh, I think he was he was in the army. He may have even been in the Corps of Engineers. Ironically, during World War II, he was in, a, in an engineering unit, if I remember correctly. Then he came back, and then he worked in the pulpwood business, you know, cutting pine trees and yeah. taking them to make to make it into pulp and paper. Then some other kind of woods and natural resource related work. I mean, he was yeah. very much a, a hardworking person, yeah. you know, getting his living from the land in right. several ways. Yeah, the article that you wrote is fascinating in part because the first, you include the first three or four pages of the article, you just have straight transcript from your interview with Joe Holloway. And it's you asking questions, and it's him. Uh, talking at length, you know, as memories kind of bubble to the surface, he just sort of talks. He doesn't necessarily answer directly every question that you ask, but his memories sort of, uh, you know, ebb and flow a little bit. And and you capture that, I think, really, really well. But one of the questions that you ask is, you know, do you, very simply, do you miss the way that the river used to be? Or do you miss the way that the land used to be? Can you talk about, you know, why you asked that question and then his response? Yes. I asked it because it was kind of a key, kind of the core question of, you know, was my um, hypothesis correct going into it? You know, I told you a little bit about my conclusions going into it. I hypothesized that. Surely there was there were some some feelings of connection and, and regret that people had you know about what happened so that I wondered and I finally kind of had to get around to asking him well you know did you kind of that's a kind of way of saying did you care about what happened you know was it did you care about the way that the river was and the land landscape that was transformed and kind of lost forever you know you can't really go back to that way the river is never going to flow freely right there so that's why i asked him it seemed like kind of the core of what i was up to yeah and his response was about about the river especially he said very emphatically uh yeah he really the, the river meant an awful lot to him and that was that was a nice moment because I think I feel like I did a, an okay job of not 
leading him, you know, to uh, to get him to confirm something I was already thinking. It, 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 the way that the interview flowed, the way that we set up the interview, and the way the interview flowed, it, it, it kind of seemed like a very sincere feeling that he was expressing. What conclusions did you come away with with the changes to the land here along the river? One of them is that I guess just that it seemed important to tell more of those stories, kind of to unearth, uh, unsubmerge some of those stories and, you know, bring them out a little bit. Thanks for listening to the So What Question. Visit our website at sowhatquestion.wordpress.com. Follow and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And please rate and leave comments for us as well. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode.